Welcome to episode 111 of the FarmExec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, Editor-in-Chief of FarmExec Magazine, here along with my co-host, Group Social Media Editor, Miranda Schmalfis. FarmExec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin Ali, CEO of Organon. Kevin talks about how he's led the launch of a new niche company for women's health and what he hopes it can achieve. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Kevin. Hey, podcasters. Social media editor Miranda Schmalf is here to let you know that the Pharmaceutical Executive Apex Awards have extended their entry deadline. Our new deadline is June 30th. Don't miss your chance to enter across 19 specialized categories in the only pharma award show judged entirely by HCPs. Submit your entry now at apex.farmexec.com. That's apex.farmexec.com. Hello, podcasters. Tanem Miranda and I will be interviewing Kevin Ali, CEO of Organon. Kevin is here to discuss how this Merck spinoff is making waves in women's health and what it takes to bring about real change in the industry. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. My pleasure. My pleasure, Elaine. So why was Organon launched? What was missing in the industry that called for its creation? Well, what we saw actually a few years ago, because we only launched a year ago is when we actually rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange to usher in OGN, call letters for Organon. But when we were thinking about, you know, the the spin out of this company, we clearly kind of saw the opportunities ahead in women's health. First, we saw that no other major pharmaceutical company was focused on women's health. It was kind of a very small bit player in many, many large companies. The second thing we saw is some very interesting kind of green shoots of R&D happening in the small and medium-sized company space. So that told us with the kind of business that we generate and the type of cash flow we generate, we could be a really good aggregator of some of those assets. But more importantly, I think right now, more than any other period of time, at least in my lifetime, I've never seen women's voices so resonant in terms of the need for change, the need for companies focused on on women's issues, women's equity, but also on health equity. And so that's kind of how the whole concept of the vision of a better and a healthier every day for every woman got born in, in Organon. And it's contributed to really where we are today. We just uh, actually celebrated our one-year anniversary on June 2nd, so recently it was done, and it was a wonderful day because, you know, we've done a lot in a short period of time, but the overall gaps that I spoke about in the beginning of of my uh, introduction here about the gaps of treatment that exist today still are are there. I mean, if you think about it, only 4% of all R&D dollars in our industry is dedicated specifically to women's health R&D. And so from a big company perspective, that's not happening. But from more of a small to medium-sized company, it's starting to happen. And of course, that's not even counting the revolution happening right now in the femtech space as well. So there's a lot of things there that tells us that there's a need for a company focused on trying to solve some of these unmet needs out there. And so this is a good time for a company like Organon to be uh, given birth to. So how exactly do you disrupt an industry? What are some effective ways to make inroads for change? Where do you start? Well, you can only do so much in terms of where your kind of geography that you're focusing on. When you're focused as Organon is to try to make a difference, it's really a few key things. First, it's your pipeline. 
It's ultimately innovation. The way of disrupting an industry is to bring innovations that are sorely needed that don't exist today. That's one of the key disruptors in this industry. And so that's why we actually have been very active. You, you wouldn't necessarily think that a company of our size of nearly six and a half billion dollars, almost 10,000 strong, would be focused on business development our first year out. But we've done five deals since spin because we see some really nicely valued assets out there that can make a significant difference. Like, for example, we've gone into the area of postpartum hemorrhage with a device company that we bought first out of the gate. We went into an earlier stage assets for endometriosis and preterm labor. We've most recently made an in-licensing from a company called Dare for bacterial vaginosis product that we'll be launching soon. So the more that you do in the space of innovation, the more disruptive that you can actually become. The second part of the disruptive force that I think is essentially the movement, I'll call it the movement, from both patients, healthcare providers, as well as governments, that you start to see more and more noise, there's more and more a wave of shift of change, of reimbursing for more innovation in the space, for creating more knowledge around, for example, things like fertility, where you know more and more countries are starting to reimburse for things like this. So that kind of creates more of a momentum more of a sound wave, ultimately, that's an echo chamber of sorts that creates more and more dissonance in the, in the overall industry so that people understand that something that has gone woefully unapproached for many years is now starting to get attention. Those are the just, I think, the two ways that I would say immediately that we can create disruption in the industry. So you started at Merck as a sales rep right out of college. Could you describe how the experience of moving up the career ladder has helped you now launch and lead a new company? Well, Miranda, I would say that one of the benefits of starting at the ground level in the commercial organization of Merck in those days was that Merck had an outstanding reputation for training and development. And not only that, but obviously was very well known for R&D. And again, back to the concept of innovation, that innovation was the way you disrupt. Innovation was the way that you actually created methods and means of being able to really make people's lives better. And so you know, I started out in the sales force. I started to learn from a very early stage the importance of the relationship that commercial, the sales force has with healthcare providers, with physicians, with nurses, with everybody involved in the delivery of care to patients. I started to recognize the language and the spoken and what happens from a patient point of view. The more you actually have that within your narrative of your brain, the way that it's kind of operating, the more you start to understand certain things that maybe some CEOs may not pay much note to, where it's something that actually means a considerable amount to me. And that is, is it something that will resonate with our sales force? Is it something that will resonate with healthcare providers? Is this, from a commonsensical point of view, a value proposition that would work from a business development perspective? You have a better insight into that. And I think that served me well over the years of my career at Merck, where I actually went from the sales force into kind of more of an international focus in terms of the number of years I've spent outside the US. But it clearly helped me understand the basic fundamental building blocks of this business is the relationship between the industry and healthcare providers. After launching during the pandemic in a unique space, what would you say is one important lesson you've learned? Well, first thing is I, I do need to kind of take all my notes and start to think about writing a book about, about this period of time. I mean, 
you know, spinning out a six and a half billion dollar Fortune 500 company in the midst of a pandemic is no easy feat, let me tell you. And I, I didn't know going into it how difficult and complex it would be. But it has been an amazing learning and an amazing journey for all of us involved in this process. But let me tell you one of the most important, probably, take-home messages I understood. When I was you know, on the business side in the various countries that I lived and worked in, I was a person who was known as really wanting my hands around all the facts and issues and complexities and challenges so that I could be involved in all the decision-making or a lot of the decision-making that was taking place. You realize very quickly in a pandemic, there's only so much control you have. And so you've got to be able to surround yourself with people you trust that are really effective at what they do. So it's all about, it's that, you know, trite concept of surround yourself with an A team that ultimately will be able to bring other A players on board because they're going to make the right decisions for the business. The second thing I learned, and this was something that only came about afterwards, after we kind of launched, is the fact of the matter that the stronger your purpose is, the stronger the value proposition of the company is, the more commitment, obviously, that you're going to have from all the folks that are joining in on this company. But more importantly, the more discretionary effort you unleash. Because if the purpose of the company, of the vision, people believe in the vision of what we're trying to do with you know, solving some of these issues around women's health to become a leader in women's health globally, if people really buy into it, believe in it, then you will unleash much more discretionary effort to do the extra things. And, and that's the thing you have to learn is that when you're spinning out a company, you need a lot of people who are going to be doing the extra things in order to ensure that things go as smoothly as possible. And I was, you know, I was informed and educated by a number of consultants prior to the spin, how many things could go wrong, how many complexities there are in previous spins. But knock on wood, we've actually had a fairly smooth go of it. And I attribute that to the buy-in and to the commitment of all of our founders to the success of this company. As diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, is in hyper-focus these days, how does women's health fit into that initiative? Gender equity, you know, can't be achieved without health equity. And so Women, you know, we always say amongst ourselves and the management team in this company that women are the backbone to a thriving and resilient society. And I think that's why we have such a diverse group of people who lead this organization. Our head of R&D is a woman. Our head of commercial is a woman. Our head of policy and communications is a woman. Our head of legal is a woman. Our head of IT is a woman. So we have a 50-50 split in terms of the senior leaders of this company in terms of gender equity and gender diversity, we believe strongly in it. We are committed to a 50-50 split throughout the entire company. We're almost there, actually. We're there, actually, and, and then some in the sales force and lower levels. But then in terms of the mid-level management focus uh, that we have in order to be able to get parity so that ultimately we do believe that a gender equality not only in terms of pay equity, but also obviously representation in all levels of the company are incredibly important. And, and to that end, our board, I was involved, obviously, in selecting and recruiting the board members. We have 70% of our board are, are women. 50% of the board have either worked outside of the U.S. or been born outside of the U.S., so they're both international. We have a very racially diverse board as well. So we have an incredibly diverse board, the most diverse board of any S&P 500 company today. We're very proud of it because they give us an insight not only in terms of their backgrounds and, and what they've done, in terms of becoming a more successful, more thoughtful, more balanced company, 
they're great to have on board. And so to answer your question, diversity, equity, inclusion, we actually include a B, uh, belonging, are key to what we do these days at, at Organon. And I think one of the reasons that people also feel so good about working for this company. Another important area of interest these days is ESG, or environmental, social, and governance issues. How does Organon embrace that? And why do you feel it's critical for a pharma company to address these issues? Well, one of the benefits of launching in the midst of this kind of ESG revolution, because everybody's talking about ESG, but a lot of times ESG means very different things to very different people and very different different things to different companies. We were able to launch with a very, as I've kind of mentioned earlier, a very strong purpose-driven culture at the core and the center of everything we did. And it was all about focused on, you know, increasing essentially health equity for women across the world. And so integrating our ESG approach with that core of what we believe in was a natural connection, a natural bridge. And that kind of put us ahead of the pack because when you have a commonality of both purpose and that purpose tying in so beautifully into an ESG platform, it makes it much easier. It makes it so that it's part of what we talk about. It's part of what we do. We call our ESG platform, we call it Her Promise. And it's essentially helping women and girls achieve their promise through better health by addressing gender-related disparities, especially in healthcare. We have very ambitious and but tangible goals to guide us in terms of creating that type of ripple effect that we want to create for the world so that we hope that more and more kind of jump into this. And we've got a roadmap in terms of what we're going to do, be able to, to articulate We just actually launched our first ESG report and our first ESG plan to the public just in in line with our June 2nd celebration of Her Day in terms of our anniversary. And we believe that things like, for example, creating better access for women for contraceptions to essentially save 120 million unintended pregnancies by 2030 is something that is tangible. It's ambitious, but we're well on a way of being able to do that with products like Nexplone that we have. Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been really interesting hearing about how and why Organon was launched and what it means for women around the world. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Hey, podcasters, social media editor Miranda Schmalf is here to let you know that the Pharmaceutical Executive Apex Awards have extended their entry deadline. Our new deadline is June 30th. Don't miss your chance to enter across 19 specialized categories in the only pharma award show judged entirely by HCPs. Submit your entry now at apex.pharmexec.com. That's apex.pharmexec.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Kevin Ali, CEO of Organon. And my leadership tip is something that I learned in the travels that I've done as an international leader of businesses. And I am now a CEO, obviously, of Organon, a company that has 80% of its revenue outside of the U.S. So what I consider one of the key attributes of successful leadership in my position is what I would consider a very well-developed cultural quotient, CQ. Uh, And that is really developed by leaders spending time in various cultures, understanding how those cultures operate, 
understanding the business principles of those cultures. So it's not one way, but it's a dialogue of sorts. It's an exchange of ideas, both in terms of the ideas that you've developed through your career and ideas that you gain and garner from the different cultures you work in. That is so key because if you're running an international business, you cannot run that with one particular frame of mind or reference as you start to lead a company going forward. You've got to be global. And the only way of being global is to have a higher cultural quotient, as I call it. And the only way of having a higher level of cultural awareness is by spending quality, significant amount of time in various countries in both the emerging markets and developed markets to better understand what different cultures require for you as a business person in order so that you can truly be a successful but well-balanced business person going forward. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec Podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at FarmExec, on Instagram at FarmExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editor-in-Chief Elaine Quilici at E-Q-U-I-L-I-C-I at MJHLifeSciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email Group Publisher Todd Baker at T-B-A-K-E-R at MJHLifeSciences.com.